This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast, and we are coming out of the international break yeah, there's still a few games to go as we record here now getting quite excited about the games we'll talk about those a little bit later but my name is billy grant and i'm sitting here in the virtual joint with my buddies here all virtually because we're still in lockdown we're not allowed to meet up in the pub and have a little chat so we're going to do it virtually here and uh, we've got a game at the weekend against wickham wanderers so we're going to be talking about that a little bit later but also before that we thought let's have a little bit of a review we had Ryan Dilks from the Second Tier Podcast and he was chatting to us about the Championship Review. So we're going to be talking about that and about all sorts of stuff about the Championship and how Brentford are doing and how other teams are doing as well on this podcast today. And we've got loads of other stuff to talk about. Before I do that, I'm going to introduce my guests on here today, my guests, my buddies, my chums. The Allard, how are you? I'm very well, Bill. I don't, I don't, I don't think you've ever described me as a guest before on, um, on, on the Besotted Podcast. Um, Normally just your chum or your your buddy or whatever. So, yeah, I'm here as a guest tonight. You're a guest, you're a chum, you're a buddy. Listen, we're all in here together, as we say, mate. And like I said, it's good to have you as well. Listen, have you had a good international week? Um, Yeah, to be honest, I've been miles away from the internationals. I can't, so I've watched more than maybe 15 minutes of football in the last week. I've, um, yeah, just been doing other stuff. Um, Just been chilling out, really, getting away from football so that I'm, you know, hungry for Saturday. It's good. Get a bit of hunger, working up the hunger there as well. And we've got, listen, the Liberal in the house. Not the Liberal Nick, though, because Liberal Nick, I don't know, he's, he's doing all sorts of stuff in lockdown and in the West Country. We've got the Liberal Tom in the house. Tom Fiddler, how you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. That's it. I'm still enjoying football. I don't know what Matt's done. Clearly, the, the international break has put him off it, whereas I feel more inspired than ever, I think. That's it. I've spent too much time watching football. I think that's been my problem. There is a lot of football on at the moment now, it has to be said. And like I said to you, there's a few more days of internationals as we record this one. We're actually recording it well before the Wednesday because we've got the Finland versus Wales or Wales versus Finland game where Marcus Force hopefully will be starting for Finland against Wales as well. So we want to actually be watching that game. So we thought let's record a little bit early on this one. For me, I've had a bit of a I've had a nice relaxing uh, international week. It's a birthday at the weekend for myself 
and my daughter and we actually went into town went into town went into to london town and it was really nice um everyone talks about lockdown and people sort of kind of like inside their house but what i did really like is i went out into town by the river thought we'd just hang out for a couple of hours see what's going on and there were so many people out in town hanging out just basically trying to stop going a bit mad and uh, obviously lots of places open up but what they're doing is that they're either going to coffee bars or going to pubs which had their little hatches open buying a few beers sitting by the river in their groups of twos or threes or fours families and friends together and just hanging out and I'm just sort of thinking listen I know everyone's going mad about this whole lockdown and you need to do this that and the other but I think that people really need to do what they feel they need to do to make sure that they don't go mad as long as they're doing it sensibly and like I said to you there was a really nice vibe and if you do get a chance as long as you do it safely I, I, just, I suggest you go into town if you want to hang out with a few people in your own little bubble you know go out there and hang out for, for a few hours because I think it might actually make you feel a little bit more sane than they do at the moment now as well so anyway but listen let's got to crack on with this podcast we've got quite a few things to talk about and just a quick shout out to the people who have supported Besotted as well. You know, loads of people out there supporting us through the Kofi app as well. Besotted.com forward slash beer. Thank you very much for your contributions as well. Um, you know, Jason Wills, he said, I enjoy the podcast immensely. As I said before, it's fantastic. You give up your time to our wonderful club. It's hard sometimes to have an opinion. But as you said there, you know, I'm happy that you could be our voice. And as it goes, actually, you know, we don't feel that we are your voice. We feel that anybody can say whatever they want to. They can put it via Twitter. They can put it Facebook. They can actually come on the podcast if they want to. And they can say what they want. We just provide the means for people to give their views as well, which is all good. So thanks very much there, Jace. Appreciate it. Kevin Sawyer as well. Thanks for all the work you've done putting into the podcast during these times we're able to get to games and then chat with mates about it listening to you guys make us feel part of this amazing club so thank you very much for your support kevin as well robert Keane as well always in there as well so thank you very much besotted.com forward slash beer but listen after this little twang we're going to be talking about the championship review we had ryan dilks from the second tier podcast so we're going to be hearing what he thought about the championship and brentford and all sorts of malarkey so we're a quarter of the way into the season, sort of, and we thought because it's International Week, we're going to have a little look at how the championship is shaping up. So we got Ryan Dilks from the Second Tier Podcast. They're a championship-based podcast, and they know loads of stuff about the championship, not only Brentford, but everybody else that's going on. We got him on this week to talk about the championship, to see what he thought. You know, they had a load of predictions at the start of the season about how teams are going to fare at the top and at the bottom you know we asked him about which teams he are uh, doing better than he thought which teams are doing worse you know who's going to get relegated who's going to get promoted and also we asked him about Brentford so that's very very much something to check out and tell you what we're going to do we're going to have a little clip of Ryan Dilks talking from the second tier podcast about what he thinks of the championship who are your predictions this season and why so we went with Brentford top and Cardiff seconds. The thinking behind Brentford was that surely this would be the time that they finally get to the Premier League after uh, coming close last season and looking like they should have been doing a lot better in the seasons prior. So we thought that would be the case this season. Cardiff, I'm sure we'll get onto it a bit later on, uh, we thought they'd build upon what they uh, managed to do with Neil Harris last season. Not really gone to plan yet, but... Uh, I digress. Stoke, Millwall, Forest and Norwich were the final teams we had in the top six. Um, Stoke, Millwall, done all right so far this season. Again, similar to Cardiff, we thought they'd build upon 
what they did last season. Forrest, ugh, not really gone <laughs> to plan that one either. Uh, but <laughs> now that they've got Chris Hewton, I think they could make a serious charge for the playoffs uh, in the second half of the season. And then Norwich, we were a bit torn upon really. I wasn't too sure about them, but the fact that they've managed to keep hold of the likes of Emi Brendia, Timu Puki, is always going to be quite handy, isn't it? So they, they were the top six t- sides that we went for. That's right. So look, I mean, talking about Brentford, obviously this season we've done our usual starting fairly slowly. The engines are kind of purring, but we haven't even put it into second gear as yet. Now, this season, as opposed to last season when we started slowly, we've got an additional problem because we're hampered by injuries to key players, including Christian Norgard and Pontus Janssen. We also had you know, Jensen was injured. We've had quite a few players that have come in and out and have been injured this season. Now, um, do you think these injuries have affected how Brentford are progressing this season? I think so to a degree. I think it's been one of the main factors behind Brentford's stop-starty start. Um, Janssen in particular, we saw how brilliant he was last season and how important he was because when he was injured, that was when Brentford really went off the tracks around spring or late winter time, wasn't it? Um, so I don't think that's helped. I think losing Ben Rahm is obviously not ideal because Canos has had to come in. And I'll be honest, it sounds harsh, but I've never really been particularly convinced by Sergi Canos at, at, at certainly at the top of the championship level. Um, so hopefully Godos can come in and replace him at some point and really show the quality that many Brentford fans are hoping. I think one of the big issues has been putting away chances, which is weird to say when you've got someone like Ivan Tony, who is as clinical as he is, and we've seen so far, joint top scorer, or at least near the top anyway, with Adam Armstrong. Um, he's putting away chances for fun, but I think the rest of the side isn't contributing to goals as much. I'm looking at the midfielders like De Silva, Marcondes, those kind of players, and Canos, who I just mentioned. I don't think they're contributing to the goals as much. And that's echoed in the expected goals, where Brentford are miles ahead of most of the other teams in the Championship. But at the end of the day, expected goals only really matters if you're putting away your chances. So that was Ryan Dilks. I was chatting to him, like I said to you, the championship. He knows a lot about the championship. And people might say, what does he know? I mean, you know, you, you could say anything at the beginning of the season. That is true. Of course you could say anything, you know. I mean, you know, you could predict whoever's going to win, who's going to get relegated at the end of the season. More often than not, most people are wrong. But saying that, he does spend a lot of time actually looking around the championship, knows a lot about championship championship players, championship teams. He watches the metrics and all this kind of stuff. So I just thought it was really good just to hear his point of view and especially seeing how Brentford are going to be fair because he really rates Brentford. Last season, he thought they were going to go up and he was a bit gutted we didn't go up as well. But he's also put us as a team that he thought is going to finish first this season again. He thought they're not going to let us down this season. So uh, it's a little bit worrying. So I think he's a little bit nervous because obviously we're uh, is it 11th at the time we've gone into this international break and we're a quarter of the way through the season, but he's still trying to justify his choice. The Allard, you uh, you thought that was quite an interesting little section there, didn't you? Well, uh, I think I'll be more worried about saying Cardiff are going to finish second um, than, <laughs> than, than Brentford finishing first, if, if I'm honest. I, I, yeah, I think he might be a bit way off with that one. I mean, again, he might be way off, but you, you, just, you just never know. The thing about it is that, first of all, I'm, I'm just wondering, just looking at this table looking at the championship as he's talking about it I mean 
first of all that they talked about they talked about the the three relegated teams you know we're talking about Watford we're talking about Bournemouth we're talking about um, Norwich City and the first thing that you know he says and the stats people are saying is that it looks like they're going to be there or thereabouts all those teams which is probably the first time that all the relegated teams are going to be doing all right because normally you know you get Sunderland that come down and says oh no it's, it's, it's all over the place like you know what I'm saying but they, they seem to be healthy competition for teams like us, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, um, I, I think that's the point he makes, isn't it? Is that, you know, obviously he was making those predictions at the beginning of the season before a ball was kicked, but now we're 10 games into the season. I always think it's, I always think, especially when a, we haven't even had a, um, the transfer window still open. It's, it's not impossible to make predictions before the transfer window shuts anyway. But he, but he makes it, he, he's pretty clear, I think, that the, the, the four teams he thinks will be fighting out the top um, two spots of the the three relegated teams and ourselves, and you know I'm happy to take that one. Uh, Tom, listen, I'm going to ask you because I, I was chatting to you about this before this podcast, then, and you found uh, you found the clip. Was it? I don't know if it's amusing, but you told, you know you you're very interested in, in what Ryan had to say, weren't you? I was. I, I mean, I was shocked. I felt like he was already having to defend his choices. I think you know. I think he. I think you know. When you put Cardiff second, and you suddenly look at the team that Neil Harris has set and putting out week on week, and how they're performing, yeah, you can understand that. But I think, I think what stood out to me as well was that he was kind of justifying that things would settle down. I mean, one thing we've already seen the revolving door of managers has kind of come round again. We're seeing ins and outs there already as well. Uh, as Matt was talking about as well, we've had the transfer window now closed, so we've got squads that are there. Lots of injuries and stuff. I think now almost giving him the opportunity to kind of reflect on it meant that he was kind of able to rethink the way in which he was kind of analysing the league. And I think that's probably a good thing for him as well. And I'm sure he probably appreciated the, the opportunity to set the record straight on a couple of them. But um, but I think I think what he made is some really, really interesting points. But I think it shows how, you know, we, we feel like there's a lot of football that's already been played this season. Um, but there's been a hell of a lot of change that's happened in that short space of time. And there's still a hell of a long way to go, you know. And there, there were so many variables that he seems to keep bringing up that that things that largely seem out of the control of, of a lot of the teams. And I think he, well, put it this way, I think he sets it up very nicely for a very interesting kind of move as we look towards the halfway point now. There is a lot of change as well. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday, they changed their manager this week. Gary Monk is on the way out as well, which is strange. We talked about that last week, you know. And uh, they're, 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 well, they started off on a negative, uh, negative points, you know. But they've got Pulis in, which uh, I don't know if we should talk about. That. I mean, I'm, I don't know why I'm laughing about that, because uh, I think we'd be quite, you know, it's quite scared when Pulis comes down to Griffin Park, because we'd be trying to be parking the bus again. We'd be trying to get the, get around that Pulis bus. But um, I'm just wondering, I mean, the Allard, um, Ryan talked about... About, you know the team that's surprising probably the most out of this one is Middlesbrough who's the team that he actually thinks might be pushing for promotion where they actually only probably put them sort of mid-table probably even below beforehand as well so that was a surprise package for him he's saying I'm just wondering for you so far this season who has been the surprise package team um, I, st- I think there's three, isn't there? I mean, the, the, you could argue Reading because of their league position, but he makes some good points about how, you know, I think if you look at chances created, they're not very high up. I, I would probably say Blackburn um, were the surprise team for me because, you know, they looked like they were, you know, there was a point where they looked, looked early, early in the season, they looked like they were going to sort of ruffle a few feathers, I suppose. Um, but they've dropped to 12th now, so maybe not, Maybe not quite the same. Luton are up there. Um, will that will that hold? I'm not so sure. 
so you come back to Middlesbrough, don't you, and, and say, yep, um, they probably are the surprise package. I still think it's early days, really, though, to make any judgments. I think Stoke will be up there as well. I think they're going to be strong this season. It's interesting. I mean, I've been talking to my Middlesbrough chums as well, and I'll be saying, look, you know, to be fair, you came down to us and you, I mean, you, you did really well. Um, you look really good. You know, your midfield, you know, you, you were tackling, you were, you, and your defence as well. You were really, really, you know, you, you took us to task, is what I said. And interestingly, they were going, we're very happy with the point at Griffin Parks, which shows you where they actually see us. And I was saying, well, to be quite honest with you, we, we really struggle to break you down. And they were saying, look, you know, that's fair. You know, that's what Warnock does but we're not going to be scoring that many goals if we can get some players in in January then that might take us up to the next level but we're just hoping we can carry on what we're doing till now so that was quite interesting where they're keeping quite level-headed as to where they're going to be so you know Middlesbrough that was that was a frustrating one but and I think again at the end of the season we actually might see that as a good point Bill are they enjoying watching it because um, I'm getting the impression they're not no well this is interesting because they've had a couple of not really great seasons, no one will turn around and say, we're not enjoying this, you know, just like, you know, with some, you know, Gary Monk sides or previous Poulis sides, like when Poulis was at, at Borough beforehand as well. And, you know, he came in and all of a sudden, you know, he starts to kind of get things going and they start off and thinking, this is really brilliant. Then after a while they go, oh no, we don't like this anymore. So I think it might take, um, <laughs> take a little bit longer um, before they actually feel that. What they do is they they stop them losing, don't they? And that's what you know what's happened at Middlesbrough now. It's what happened when Pulis went into Middlesbrough. It's probably what will happen at Sheffield Wednesday. Is that is you know these teams stop losing, and that's quite a good thing when when you're on the receiving end of a lot of. Um, I mean, Middlesbrough last last season got thumped a couple of times, I think, and um, it was probably pretty miserable. So yep, they stop losing, and and that's and that's why they're happy. But there comes a point where you know unless they're pushing the top, say the top certainly the top six that you know you start to they they probably would start to lose faith in it as well I think they did with Pulis to some extent from what I can remember that's right and the Liberal Tom I mean which team has has surprised you out there I don't know about surprise I think there's a couple of a couple of curveballs that I'm still haven't made my judgment on which is probably the best way I think I think the way you've kind of covered the key ones I think Bristol City for me are always a team that I'm always slightly unsure about how they're going to play out Uh, they've got they're, they're one of those teams that you feel like blow hot and cold they've got a squad there I don't know what it is. I think I think it might have been the Lee Johnson effect, but I've kind of got it in for, for, for Bristol City. So I'm always slightly nervous when I see them up there and kind of challenging. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping they'll slip off, but they've done all right. The other one for me, though, was one that I remember listening back a few podcasts ago. Uh, it was Huddersfield uh, and, and thinking about where they were at the start of the season. To see them already kind of pushing up to where they are, I'm slightly surprised they're doing as well as they are. I expect them to be scrapping it out a lot more down the bottom, but... Um, they seem to be kind of punching above their weight and, uh, you know, they're giving QPR a run for the money at the, in the mid-table places. So, uh, you know, I think there could be a few curveball results still to come our way. So I'm I'm kind of excited for that more so than I am thinking about who I can think is going to be at the top yet because, frankly, I think it's so, so close. All the way down, you know, it, I think you're going to have a lot of freak results this year because I just don't think it is as predictable as we'd like it to be. Talked about that. I mean, you've mentioned pretty much all the curveball ones for me. I mean, I'm looking at the bottom first of all, and for me, Wick and Wanderers obviously are the first curveball one for me because the fact is that no one gave him any chance. We'll be talking to Phil Catchball from a Singing the Blues podcast later, and he'll be talking about all that stuff. We've got a good long chat to Phil actually. We just thought, let, let's just chat. So, Wickham are one of the teams as well, but the other one is there's two other teams as well, and they're like, you know, what, 13 miles from each other. Nottingham Forest and Derby County, those are two other teams which are curveballed to 
me. I never, I never in a million years saw Derby at the bottom of the league, even though last season they were definitely above where they should have been. And also Nottingham Forest. Um, I mean, I know Koku. You know, um, sorry, not Koku, because Koku's at Derby, or he's not at Derby anymore, but Nottingham Forest as well. Um, um, Lamucci as well, you know. Listen, I don't know, but from Nottingham Forest, the amount of money they've spent, the amount of resource they've put in there, and what they're doing year on year, and it just goes to show you that it isn't really working, and you've got to have a much longer-term picture. They may have a, an owner that's got loads of money. They may have an idea of where they want to go, but this isn't the way to go for them. And, and looking at where they are, maybe it shouldn't have been a curveball for me. But, um, you know, listen, Nottingham Forest, they, they, I expected them to be in and around the top six. And um, no, they're not there at all. No, I've got to be honest. I, I I didn't think that at all. I thought I thought looking at the way they ended the season last season, I, I thought they were they was they didn't look like a particularly great footballing side. And I just get the feeling that we might be coming to that point now, whereby we might see the the the, the impact of that, whereby they just haven't come up with a footballing culture. But Chris Hutton's class, uh, a real class act, and I think you know that if if as 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 Ryan was talking about, if there's someone to come in to kind of bring about a change. He's the kind of man you'd want to do it, really. Yeah, I think it's I think it's quite a sort of a little bit of a scary um, appointment because there's a lot of decent players at Forest. Um, they flattered to deceive last season for sure, and you just think could if Hutton sorts them out, um, and then you know transfer window January, few few decent signings. Um, yeah, they could they could be there or thereabouts still maybe. The way that the league works, I mean, I mean again, Ryan. From the you know from the the second tier podcast, he was just talking about his predictions, and also he was talking about you know, in effect how people see teams. People see teams like Brentford, people see teams like Stoke City. You know, teams who kind of perform you know well. You know, have got high xG and they actually put the balls in the back of the net, like Leeds United did last season as well. And teams who sort of perform below that as well, and or haven't got high xG and how they should how they should fill in. So we spoke to our resident stats guru i mean we've got xg dave obviously but xg dave is kind of chilling out we're going to get him on the podcast in the next couple of weeks or so because we need a bit of xg from xg dave but we also got will the spreadsheet winker as well will also and he's been having a look at the justice league as they call it and he's going to give us a little lowdown as to what this justice league is all about and looking at the table the xg table which is not the real table but the table which is based on the chances that you create and the chances that the opposition you know uh, create against you so we're going to be talking about this right now with will the spreadsheet winker Spreadsheet winker, he's a winker, Justice Leagues, are they useful or just a load of rubbish? Much was made last season of the so-called Justice League, which Brentford used to calculate where they think they should be in the league, as opposed to the actual table. But what is a justice table, and is it useful? Or have Benham and his boys made a step too far on this one? First of all, There are a few different types of justice table, which range from easy to understand to arcane and obscure. I'll start by explaining a couple of the more common types. Firstly, XG for versus XG against. Most commonly seen as a graph, this is the simplest justice table. It just compares a team's cumulative or average XG which they create and compares it to the XG which they concede from their opponents. Brentford are right up there with the best teams in the division in this metric, according to InfoGoal, alongside Blackburn, Norwich and Swansea. Secondly, we've got expected points. 
This one is slightly more complicated. The justice table is calculated by a model which attributes points to each team based on their XG in a particular game. For example, if B's created 3 XG and the opposition only 0.5, then we would receive 3 points and vice versa. If the expected goals for the two teams were much closer, like they were against Borough last week, then each team would get 1 point. This gives you a table which is essentially based on the quality of the shots that you're creating and your dominance over the opposition. Brentford are currently top of the B's tactical produced justice table, and this can be interpreted as B's being dominant over other teams in terms of XG that we're creating. Norwich, Bournemouth and Rovers are again flying high, and Derby County are rooted to the foot of the table. So what do these justice tables actually tell us? While Brentford seem to be underperforming at the moment, sitting in 11th in the real table compared to first place assigned to us by our expected points. This means we're regularly scoring fewer goals than we're expected to. So why could this be? Firstly, we could be creating a high volume of XG by peppering the opposition goal with lots of low value shots, say 0.05 XG or a 5% chance, rather than carving out fewer high XG chances, think Guardiola's teams. These would be reflected in a high percentage of our shots being from outside the box or wide of the goal. But actually, looking at our recent XG maps, the majority of our attempts, more than half at least, are coming from inside the box. We seem to score more often from working balls into our strikers, or from fast counter moves ending in a cross or a drag back, than via worldies from 30 yards. The second reason we seem to be underperforming at the moment could just be luck. The bees could simply be unlucky in the games that we've played. A good example of this would be the season opener against Birmingham, where we were completely dominant in terms of XG, with 2.63 to their 0.96, yet we lost 1-0. So either the B strikers are spectacularly bad at hitting the target, which clearly isn't the case considering Ivan and Marcus's prolific scoring form, or it was just plain old bad luck. And remember, every shot is a complex situation with hundreds of variables, and even the best strikers miss the occasional sitter. Every single shot is a random situation. Put simply, results can be affected by good luck, a 30-yard screamer that almost never goes in, or bad luck, a jammy deflection on a shot which otherwise would have gone wide. But the metrics which go into justice tables are based on performance, not results. Many people would rightly argue that there's only one table which matters, the one at the end of the season, and I agree. But I think there's a lot of value to be gained by removing the randomness of a full-time result and looking at the team's performance instead. And that's what a justice table gives us. Credit to Beast Tactical for their fantastic article, which I used in my research. So that's Will, the spreadsheet winker, Will Allsop as well, giving us a little lowdown on the Justice League, as they call it. And I know there's loads of people that go, what a load of rubbish that is. Listen, all we do is that we're here to give you the facts and the figures, give you information, and you could take that information, listen to it, and do what you want with it. The thing that I love about things like the Justice League is that you can actually look and to see where the anomalies are, and it also does give you some sort of information. Because sometimes from games, you can't tell whether or not a team is, you know, up there on merit, up there on luck, you know, what the reason it's up there. And sometimes this Justice League can actually say to you, actually, to be quite honest with you, this it shouldn't really be like this. And I think the prime example of the anomaly at the moment now is, is Reading. Reading, top of the league, but in the Justice League, as they call it, Reading are 17th. Very similar to the season, actually, Reading got to the playoff final. 
They were they got to third place in the playoff final and in the in the Justice League table, which is Matthew Bennett's table. Everybody else, they're about 18th at the end of the season, and everyone's going, "Oh no!" All, all the stats people were going, "No, they shouldn't be there," you know, and all the Reading fans were going, "No, no, no, we, we deserve to be there." But what they were saying is that how Reading were very lucky. All the chances that they had were going in, you know, all the sh- they were having sh- few shots on goal, but they were scoring them all, and over a period of time. It, it, it just wouldn't last and the following season I think they've finished like I said to you almost in the relegation zone and they have been pretty much there ever since then so listen we're not picking on Reading now but we're just going to show you how this situation and Ryan Dilks talked about it as well how Reading he was the one that on his show kept saying Reading are not going to last they can't have two shots a game and keep on winning these games for the rest of the season um, and they're slipping away at the moment now you know they they may get away with it, but I'm not sure about it. Yeah, lot. No, I mean they're still top, but you're right. Yes, there is a downward trajectory, isn't there? Um, I think the way I look at the Justice League is that I think um, I think we're top of the Justice League, right? But not top of the expected league, whatever that one's called. The forecasted uh, the league. The forecasted league. Thank you, Bill. Um, the way I look at it is this: you know, if um, Dowsgaard scores against. Let me get this right. Norwich, and he scores against, I think it's Swansea, and Yenelt scores against Middlesbrough. We could have six more points. And, and that's kind of what the Justice League is telling us as well, is that you know there were these great opportunities for us to potentially win those games, not necessarily win them, but potentially win those games. And, um, and, and that would be the equivalent to us um, sitting on 22 points instead of 16. And, th- and that is the thing. And that's why, again, it's very hard to see these things from just doing regular stats as they are. At the end of the day, this is down to, and, and we've said this before, you know, if you had a Premier League striker, in, I mean, we've got Ivan Tony, so, but if you had Premier League midfielders in there as well who put the ball in the back of the net, you know, or a Premier League right back, you know, so Dalsgaard comes in, the ball comes to him, and he doesn't score. But if you had somebody in Premier League who had a bit, maybe a little bit more of a cutting edge to them, that ball would go into the back of the net. So it's the same chance that you create but you score that and that's kind of where it's all about and listen we're in division you know we're in the championship and you can't expect us to be scoring all these chances but the one thing that you can say is that at least you're creating the chances if you create the chances you've always got the possibility to score the problem that you have is that when you're not creating loads of chances you're relying on the only chances that you've got going into the back of the net and this is what people are saying about reading they say listen this is great because you're scoring all the chances that come in your way but what if your striker gets injured or your midfielders get injured or you all of a sudden just have a, a, a barren spell where those goals that you were scoring beforehand don't go in? And I, I really do get that. And just looking at the expected league table, as, as, as Will said, you know, Brentford are top, Norwich are second, Blackburn, interestingly, are third. You know, in the league table, Blackburn are, you know, I think they were sort of slightly above us as well. Blackburn are 12th. In the real league table, but the expected league, you know, expected goals are the third. Bournemouth are fourth. Swansea are fifth as well. You know, Swansea are actually sixth in the real league, so they're actually slightly underperforming, to be honest with you. And uh, Middlesbrough are sixth as well, and in the real league, Middlesbrough are seventh as well. So you know, Middlesbrough are slightly underperforming where they were. <laughs> Even the, and then you've got Cardiff below that, then Forest, and that's interesting because Forest are eighth in the XG table, and they're actually near the bottom. Of the, of the of the real table so you know that, that that goes out to show that you know maybe Forest are you say underperforming you know they're creating loads of chances but they're just not putting them in the back of the net Lewis Graben I'm not sure if he scored a goal this season you know he's 
banging them away last season and we were like going Jesus every single chance Lewis Graben gets he was putting at the back of the net and that's why they were actually tipped you know they were higher than their actually XG position beforehand so they're in a higher league position than, than where they were in XG wise but this season it seems to have gone the other way around where they're actually creating some decent chances but they're actually not putting them away so that is that is quite interesting as well I mean Tom I mean I know that you are, you, you like having a little sort of kind of like a, a little look around what's happening here and you sort of kind of you know, you take the information in, but you don't necessarily live and breathe it, do you? No, I don't. No, that's 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 it. And I think I think there is absolutely a value to it. But I think always the one thing that stands out to me is that the one thing that you that we generally do before a game as well is we start looking at style of play. And I almost feel like some of these tables we sometimes need to adapt for the kind of teams we play against. Because I, I'm you can see it on the pitch as well that when we play against certain teams that come at us and play expansive football we play a different way to teams where they are very defensive resilient and we just struggle to break them down. And almost to my mind, we almost need to be looking at more, I think, at where certain styles we do well and not so well against and perhaps build something more on that. And I think that's the kind of thing that I don't always think comes across from expected goals because, you know, I mean, when you look at that first game against Middlesbrough, uh, sorry, against Birmingham, you know, they came to play to sit back. And I think, you know, when I looked at the, the expected goals for that game, I remember thinking to myself, well, yeah, I mean, but that's because there's not going to be many goals in this game. It makes it so difficult then and so nitty-gritty that the game looks closer than it really is. I mean, we dominated that game and almost it takes away the fun sometimes if you look at it too much. And from my perspective, I'd much prefer to be playing really great football. I'm a bit more holistic when it comes to it. Even if the performance, you know, even if we're not getting the results, if we're playing good football and I'm able to enjoy it, then then that's it. You know, obviously I'd love it. Obviously, much prefer it when we win. I'm generally in a better mood when we do. But, but actually, there is something to be said for just playing nice football. And I think that's something that these these leagues sometimes don't quite incorporate into the way they're modelled. No, I mean, of course they don't because I mean they're they're not meant to do that. I mean, they're meant to give you information, and they they're meant to you know what they'll do is that they'll inform teams of how they're meant to play. I mean, I think particularly for us, especially as we've been doing this for quite a few years as well. It, I think the good thing about it for us is what it's done is that it's, it's, it's almost against our nature in the fact that what they'll do is that they'll give information back to um, the, the, the stats people, the people at the club who will inform the way that they're going to go about doing their business. So if, say, example, you were Derby County and you were doing what Thomas Frank did, who basically didn't win you know, a game in pretty much in 10 games, then they would have sacked their manager. But because Brentford were looking at it in a completely different way, they were looking at the chances created, they were sort of saying XG is really high, we've been really enough, or whatever excuses they may give, they decided to carry on doing what they were doing. And as a result, we didn't set the manager, we didn't change what we were doing, we didn't change our style, we carried on. And as you saw it, it kind of went on to reap its benefits. So I can see, in a way, it's very alien to us as football fans because we're very reactive on the terraces. Get out there, what you're doing, you know what I'm saying? And they've got a sort of kind of thinking things in a completely different way to what we do. Of course, what we've done is now because we, 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 we hear about this, we start bringing these things onto our podcast rather than being more emotional, which we still are emotional and, you know, and, and sort of say things like, oh yeah, you know, the, 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 the guy should have got the ball in air and just smacked it, you know, from 35 yards. Whereas, <laughs> you know, they've been told not to do things like this you know what I'm saying so I think what I'm trying to say to you is that I hear what you're saying but we have to remember from the club's point of view this is actually kind of directing the way that they believe 
this is the way that we're going to play football. And I do 100% get that. But on the flip side of it, of course, I love to see 35-yard goals and 40-yard goals because in, in the 92nd minute, which are things that are probably not meant to be done if you actually go by the rule of thumb of XG and this stats. But that's what football's all about, isn't it? I completely agree with you. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think what the club is doing is fantastic. I guess from my perspective, though, when I look at these tables, you know, both XG and XP this season so far, anything that puts us near the top always makes me slightly nervous of it. And I think maybe that's it. I've kind of always preferred it when we've been underdogs, whereas these leagues, because of the way they're modelled and quite rightly modelled and probably very important for our recruitment, well, actually very important for our recruitment, you know, it, it just always makes me slightly nervous and slightly sceptical of them because <laughs> they have us performing so well, you know, which, which always makes me go, ooh, is this something I really want to put my name and support behind? Yeah, I, I, you, you might be right. It might be that, to be honest, if these, if these tables didn't exist, um, people would still be predicting us to be relegated every season. <laughs> That's true. And looking at the 538, which we used a lot last season as well, just interesting to see where their predictions are. Well, they've, they've done their predictions for the end of the season, as they do the whole time. And Bournemouth finishing top with 84 points, which is interesting because that is a lot less than Leeds United finished on last season. Leeds United finished top on 93 points. So Bournemouth, they got finishing top on 84 points with Norwich second on 80 points. Watford third on 79 points. Brentford fourth on 78 points. Then it's Swansea City on 72 and Stoke City on 70. So it's interesting. The, the lower point there is 70. Bristol City on 7th on 69. So it, it, it's it's interesting because it's, it, it almost shows you that the sort of the bottom end, it's almost like the top end of it is quite tight with, uh, with Bournemouth, Norwich and Watford, what they believe, and Brentford. And then there's kind of quite a big gap between the next, well, the next three or four teams as well. So again, they're seeing it as being four teams that are going to be battling out. But again, it's interesting because they've actually kind of pitched us fourth place at the moment we're top of the XG charts which shows you that we're kind of like you know you know someone going to be sort of sort of on a downward slope almost and the other teams are going to be picking up but Bill I, I think that's taking into account the first 11 games isn't it so because mm. we're not living up to XG if we carry on with our XG we still can't climb up the table as as much as to get to top if that makes sense so the XG is based on um, your actual performance this is based on the um, the current position in the league and then the potential XG from then onwards, if that makes sense. Sort of, yes. I think, in effect, what I'm kind of trying to say is that if we actually start actually kind of picking ourselves up and scoring a few more goals, yeah. this position... Uh, we, we, we're not in a bad position is what I'm trying to be saying you know due to this predicted model. At the moment now, our predicted model is saying is that mm, you're not doing as well as we thought you're going to be. But we all know that. We're watching that and we're thinking, Brentford, they're not doing as well they're going to be. So if all of a sudden, you know, we've got not only Ivan Tony, but we've got, you know, all the other players chipping in, getting goals. We've actually got players who aren't missing. We're not, we're not losing, you know, we're not losing, missing the chances that we were before. We should actually see ourselves edging ourselves up the table, don't you think? Yeah, and, and I think that's what they're saying, is that, is that we should perform well enough to move from wherever we are now. Is it, is it not the 10th, 11th, whatever it is, I, I I know how many points we've got. I don't know. Yeah, eleventh up to fourth because we will because in the next however many games it is uh, thirty uh, thirty five games um, we will perform better than we have in the first eleven games and therefore we will move up the table. That's that's kind of the point of it. Um, but we won't necessarily p- perform well enough in the next thirty five games to get to the top of the table. Yeah, so it's interesting because the bees are eleventh. Like I said, sixteen points with three off points of Swansea in eleventh place. Um, 
but compared to last season as well, you know, last season at this time, you know, we had won four, drawn three, lost five. At the moment, we've won four, drawn four, lost three. And we had a goal difference of plus one. So we're actually doing better um, now. We're actually one point better off than we were last season, which is interesting as well. And, 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 and J, JB is going to talk about that in his stat attack a little bit later about how the BMW actually haven't even kind of cut off the mark this time last season. So I think that, again, it's easy for us to kind of have that fear because we saw how well we finished at the back end of last season. But if you compare it to last season, actually, we're still doing better than we did last season. We still haven't quite got off the mark you know so but this i mean this just like i said this justice league it's you know listen take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt but also like i said to you it really does give you a little bit of information and for me you know like i said to you you know the the, the anomalies in there you know obviously reading are a little bit of anomaly as well you know qpr are down the bottom of, of the justice league and the, and the and the real league as well you know they're not they're not they're not doing you know, they're not doing great wick and wanderers are probably doing you know probably a little bit better than people expected you know whether or not they're going to come out of it i don't know luton town are probably punching you know better than they're actually doing as well now so we'll see how this will pan out over the next next over the next few months won't we yeah for sure and um you know i it as we all know, you know, 11 games into the season, we've seen teams have surges before. We saw the surge we had. It wasn't quite enough. But the surge that Villa had um, two years ago, you know, pushed him into the top two. So everything's still to play for. And we're nicely in touch still. That's right. We are definitely nicely in touch. So listen, talking about nicely in touch, JB. We like to get JB because JB gives us all sorts of stats, all sorts of facts. JB Stat Attack. And today, he's going to be talking about Marcus Force and all other stuff with JB and his funk. Are you ready for this? I told you it was coming. Who? JB. And he's ready to stock it to you one time. Uh, get it. Hello, Jonathan Virgil here again. Marcus Force is really hitting the headlines now. In this, his fourth season with us. When he joined in 2017, he surprisingly failed to score in his first couple of B-team games, but made up for it in his third game when he netted four, a 6-0 win over Benfica B, including a hat-trick inside 23 minutes. In fact, since being on our books, he's played for the B-team, the first team, been on loan and played for his country. And when taking into account all games, including cups and friendlies, he's started 73 matches with a further 35 as a sub, which makes a total of 108 games, in which time he scored 56 goals. Better than the goal every other game. Football saw the sad passing of Ray Clements. Mike Everett's 4th Division Brentford visited Anfield for a League Cup second round game in September 1974 and came up against him. Although losing to the eventual league runners-up, the Bees shocked their hosts when Terry Scale sent Roger Cross sprinting through a square defence to hold off Phil Thompson and calmly slide the ball past Clements. Although going on to lose 2-1, it was the Bees' only goal scored at Anfield in the post-war era in four visits. As we go into match 12 of the season, it's worth remembering that this stage last season, BMW wasn't up and running. Ollie had scored seven, Brian just one, and Saeed had yet to open his account for the season. So Jonathan Birchall, JB's stat attack. Marcus Force, 
I mean, ridiculous. I mean, they've taken, I know, it's B-team games, first-team games, substitute appearances, but 73 first um, starts and 35 subs, 108 appearances, 56 goals. One goal in two games, pretty much. That is pretty amazing. I mean, even though it is across, but at the end of the day, that's what, you know, he can only play in the team that he's put to play in. You know, one goal in two is, is pretty amazing, isn't it, the Allard? It is if you don't play all the games, um, or all of those games, if that makes sense. You know, you're not playing 90 minutes in each game. So, yeah, so he's got a, he's, he's got a great record. His goals per minute, um, is, you'd imagine, is outstanding. Um, it has been so far this season. And, you know, it's exciting to have him coming off the bench, isn't it? It is definitely exciting to have him come off the bench. Like I said to you, he really didn't come off the bench against... France for Finland in his very first game, his debut game for Finland, and he scored a really, really good goal. We were probably a little bit mellow about that in a podcast last week, weren't we, the Allard? And that's probably because we, we didn't really know about it at the time. It sort of kind of was we, slotted in at the last minute. Yeah, we yes, we, we weren't maybe paying due care and attention, I think is probably how we should put it. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So we did mention it, but we weren't enthusing about it. Right. Welcome, Marcus. You did absolutely fantastic. It was a great goal that you scored against the world champions and the European champions as well, the World Cup winners. Yeah, thank God for editing, eh, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. So we've got that with Marcus Force doing that as well. And like I said to you, he's playing Wales. So he's going to be coming up against oh, one of his old B-team mates as well, Chris Meppen, which I think is pretty amazing. You know, a few years later, you've got sort of two B-team characters coming up on the international stage, you know, in the Nations League. So, uh, like I said, you will be sitting down and watching that. That's on the same on the same time as the, the England game, 7.45 tomorrow. But I think I might actually, actually have to watch the Finland-Wales game because that's got a little bit of, a, of an exciting twist to it there as well. So, But Marcus Force... Saturday. I mean, he's he's scoring goals for fun. You know, one goal every sort of, what, 30 minutes, 32 minutes for Brentford. He's scoring at the moment now. And uh, he's still coming off the bench. Do you, the Liberal Tom, think the force should be starting on Saturday? Well, I I can already tell that this is going to go down like a lead balloon with Matt. But I just think, why not? What have we got to lose? I think, (laughs) think, you know, I, I... I can tell that Godos has got something special. He's got a quality kind of touch with him. And you can tell that when he wants to zip that pass, it'll be a magic pass. But at the, at the minute, is it making the game-changing moments? No. Is Kanyos making those game-changing moments? No. So, do you take that risk and do you give the opportunity to a guy who has proven that he can do it against the, as, as Thomas Frank would say, top, top opposition? Uh, I think you've got to take the risk. Why not? Put him up front, give him a go. Two up front, we can have a great time. We'll be scoring for... We'll have no problems. The XG will be off the scale. So, uh, well, you need people to make the chances, obviously, and you're going to... And by playing two up... So there's lots of discussions, isn't there, about whether you should play him or not. And um, so you could say, okay, we'll play him instead of Godos or Canos, but they've been playing on the left, yep. He's not a left winger, is he? I mean, we can all agree on that. So that rules him out. Are you going to play him there? (laughs) No, but why don't you drop? What, but what you could do, no. what you could do, is give Tony that little bit of a drop, a, a drop, dropping back slightly. You know, play him almost like a centre forward. You know, and then play with two wide men still. But yeah, I think I think that Tony would appreciate having someone to run off of him as well. He loves a runner, and you know that Force just wants to be in behind. Give him that chance. Go on, Matt. You know you want to. So now, <laughs> so now, so okay. So we're going to play two up front, right? Um, so where are we taking that player from? 
So, so we've got to take a player from somewhere else to, to play two up front. Well, we're playing with we're playing three up front at the moment. I'd argue we're playing with three wingers, so to lose one of those. So, so you can argue then if that we're we're not really playing three up front though, are we? We're playing Tony up front, and then we play two players either side of him. So if so, I don't think you can play force either side of Tony. Um, so you could make an argument you can play two up front, but to do that, you've got to fight, you've got to take a player from somewhere else. So you've got to take a player from midfield. Um, in which case you'd probably go something like four four two, um, which which for me is pretty old school. Um, I'm not sure that that's what we should do. Um, you know, so so it, it, it's where do you take the player from? Do you do you play three at the back and then play, you know, and play something like three five two, so you can still play the three in the middle of midfield, but then all your width has to come from the wing backs. I think I, I think the problem with football is that if you could play the game with twelve players on the pitch you could play force without a doubt but when you've got a pick 11 um, it gets difficult to work out how you fit him in because you can you, you can talk about him scoring goals and I know he scores goals um, but Ivan Tony scores goals and I don't really think our problem at the moment is scoring okay, goals Okay I'm going to throw this out there then what I would propose I mean that's <laughs> it, I've been playing FIFA and I know FIFA tells me I can play a 4-4-1-1 formation and that's what I'm <laughs> going with I'm playing Ivan Tony in the centre forward role and I'm playing force right up top mm. I think personally what I've seen is that so, Marcondes Jensen Janelle, the kind of midfielders that are in there, De Silva. I think if you play De Silva and Janelle as two box-to-box midfielders, you could you could sacrifice losing one of those creative players in the middle, and you could still keep your two wide men then, but ask them to do more work going forwards and backwards. And I think that's something that Canyos can do. I think Fosu could do it if he was asked to come in as well. And I think Mbumo is the only one who perhaps doesn't, but we've seen the way he's played a lot of this season. He's gone a lot more defensive. I think giving him that freedom to come back and say to him, the pressure's not going to be on you to be in behind necessarily, but making those runs to create the counter-attacking movement, I just think it gives you something different and something that I haven't seen us particularly try and might give us that movement that we need that, that unlocks them. I, I guess the, the, the thing is, you're right, we haven't tried it and I, we haven't tried it because the philosophy at the club is not to play that way. There is a philosophy throughout the club that all the players play in both the B team and the first team and generally it's 4-3-3. There is a three at the back variation of it and it just, that isn't, our philosophy um, you could if if you were saying that either Force or Tony could play like say Sheringham or Cantona in a 4-4-1-1 um, I would be listening to you but I don't see either of them being able to play that way either I just I, unfortunately it's you, I just think you're trying to fit square pegs into round holes just to get Force into the side and that's just because he scores you know because he scores goals and I know goals win you games but my worry is is where else is where do you lose out and and if you lose out what happens if you don't create the chances okay i mean the thing is about i'm going to ask the question for out there as well you know we talk about the fact that you know you have plan b plan c plan d as well we do play a particular type of way there's an argument that people say that sometimes people have sussed brentford out um that was what um the, what the qpr defender who was in the pub in uh, in, in in stains as well yeah we love the old besotted rumours don't we you know he's in the pub in Staines and he, he sat down and he talked to one of our besotted crew and he sat down there and he went oh yeah we've sussed Brentford out we have everyone sussed them out you know they ain't going to win the playoffs and to be fair he was he was spot on you know whether or not he's right or not you know <laughs> I don't think I don't think QPR have sussed us out, have they? <laughs> well, actually, we're playing them in a few weeks, so please let's touch wood and let's uh, let's be a bit careful about that one. That that could come back to haunt That's me. That's right, it could come back to haunt you. But what I'm trying to say to you is that all of a sudden, like you know, sometimes maybe we have to sort of kind of throw a little curveball 
in there, something that people aren't expecting. And maybe also do it against a team which it kind of actually might work against. You know, so maybe, you know, there's talking about, you know, whether or not we went, you know, two up front or whether or not you went, you know, 4 4 one, one in a particular game or you started off like that before switching. Would there be something that Brentford might be able to do? Because at the end of the day, it's like we almost seem to be very good at doing quite a lot of things and then sometimes people suss us out a little bit then we struggle a bit but if we keep on throwing curveballs in there where they're thinking what are they going to be coming out with next maybe we might actually be able to get an extra edge on them in a few more games and pick up a few more points yeah I completely agree but I think I think what I would say is that I think one thing we are agreed on is that Marcus Force doing well is not reason enough to drop Ivan Tony. And I think that's one thing that we've got to try and bear in mind in all of this is that I'd say everything I say with a slight pinch of salt that, you know, what I do not want to do is give any give any indication to Ivan Tony that we don't believe in him because he has proven already how valuable he's going to be to us this season. And I think he's going to continue to give us that work rate and that work ethic that we need. So I don't want to give him the negative. But... I, I, I was going to sort of say with Bill, um, what Bill was saying is that, yeah, you, you throw him curveballs. But I, I, I don't know. I, I suppose the thing is, is that I watched Brentford play 4-4-2 for so many years, wishing that we could throw a curveball in and play something that meant we could be more flexible. Um, and, and, and I just worry that going back to 4-4-2, the last time we played anything like that was probably under Rosler when we played a diamond formation in midfield. It was horrible. There was no width. Um, you know, we played Donaldson was one of the centre forwards. He sort of came in a bit from the right. And, um, and then we switched to 4-3-3 and then everything started to click. Um, and, and I just, I, I, I'm not ready to go back, I suppose. I think I'm, I think, you know, when I think about it, I'm just sort of, yeah, I, I have all these sort of bad memories of it. It's been going on. And I just, I don't know, maybe, maybe you try it for a game. But I just don't, I, this is where I really am, is when you look at the fixture list in December, we are going to need Force and Tony basically to switch. Um, we're going to have to, Tony, there's no way he's going to play loads and loads of all those minutes throughout December Force is going to have to probably start certainly the cup game he's probably going to have to start one or two league games um, we've only got two centre forwards at the club so if you play two up front we don't even you know we don't have another centre forward even to bring on for, for them if, if you decide you know you, you've got nowhere to go at least with Force you've got somewhere to go and I'm still in you know and, that, and that, I suppose that's where I am really so listen Force Will the force be with us on Saturday? We will see. He's going to be coming back from his European ventures and hopefully he'll be buoyant. And listen, if he comes off the bench and scores a couple of goals against Wickham, we'll be very happy with that. So talking about Wickham, we're playing Wickham on Saturday. It's a, it's a big game for us. The Bees, it's a big game for them as well. And we need to find out some information. So we're going to be chatting to Phil Catchpole from the Wickham podcast. And he's going to be telling us all about Wickham. Get yourself a cup of tea, get yourself a beer, because there's a bit of a long chat, this one. (laughs) Gone into reminiscent zone. But listen, it's an international window. So check this one out, and we'll come back with you after our little chat with Phil. So big game at the weekend as we go up to Adams Park to play Wickham Wanderers. Haven't been there for a few years now. Or in the league, we haven't been there for a few years. So it'll be good to get to... Adams Park etc it's not going to be good for the fans because we're not going to be there it's just going to be the team but hopefully they can deliver the business oh, Wickham Wanderers cool. what do I know about Wickham Wanderers no not too much you know but we thought we'll go to the expert we'll go to Phil Catchbowl from the Wickham podcast Ring of the Blues because he knows everything about Wickham Phil how you doing 
I'm very well, thank you. I think I know a lot of stuff. Maybe not everything, but most things, possibly. <laughs> you do. I mean, to be fair, Brentford have played Wickham so many times. I've actually seen them loads. So I do know a fair bit about Wickham. and probably be reminiscing about that a little bit about this chat. But, you know, I want to say, first of all, congratulations on Wickham reaching their highest ever position in the league. You know, they're in the championship now. And it was a great escape from the first division. I, I wouldn't say uh, it, it was, you know, expected, though. You know, I mean, talk us through that promotion season, especially the back end. Uh, it was a really odd season, not just because of uh, of what happened uh, with the pandemic, but um, Wickham, historically, well, re- in recent history at least, we've had no money, we've got no resources, uh, we rely heavily on loan players, uh, largely from Brentford as well, thank you for that. And um, so, yeah, you know, no one really expected us in the football world to be doing what we were doing. Um, and it was always a case of, like, once getting into League One, it was about staying there. Um, and so for Gareth to do what he did at Wickham last season um, you know there's there's fans of several clubs who are really upset with Wickham getting promoted but um, because of the way they use PPG and stuff like that but I think the the narrative over the whole season which clubs uh, well, largely Peterborough Sunderland and Ipswich um, yeah I mean Peterborough especially really upset because I think we took they in their eyes we took their position in the playoffs um we had a game in hand. We were in eight, eighth in the table when PPG came in. Um, so lots of people have got very upset. And then Wickham, along with, I think, uh, all but four clubs in League One voted for the season to come to an end on PPG because of what it would do financially for everybody in, in that division or most teams in that division. Um, Wickham voted to uh, end the season on PPG and then went up by the playoffs. And a lot of people have got very upset by that, um, which, you know, it, that's their right to do so. But... Wickham got up fair and square, but the narrative over the whole season, Wickham spent, the, I think they were the team that spent the most time in the top two. Um, they were top at Christmas. They were seven points clear at Christmas. They were doing amazingly well on a, on a really tiny budget and a small squad. Um, and, and they got to the playoffs and they were phenomenal in the playoffs. They were brilliant against Fleetwood in the semi-final, especially in the first leg. And uh, they were, I think it was a tactical masterclass in the final and they took their chances and played the bigger moments better than Oxford United. Um, so they were, no one fancied them at any stage in the season. Um, when they got to the playoffs, they were like, they won't get through the playoffs, they won't beat Fleetwood. When they got to the final, they said they won't beat Oxford. And, you know, that's the Wickham way. Everyone will tell us on Saturday that we won't beat Brentford. Um, and Wickham loved that. The fans love it. Gareth loves it. The players love it. They are the perennial underdog. And we'll be in trouble one day when we play a team like in the FA Cup or something that's got no money or is part-time. Because Gareth Ainsworth will try desperately to make us the underdog in that as well. But he might struggle. That's right. I mean, I'd love to say that as well. Obviously, like I said to you, shocked Oxford, who were red-hot favourites in the playoff final as well. You know, they're the darlings of, uh, of, of of Division 1, as it is. So it kind of reminds me of what Brentford were in the Championship at the time. By that time, actually, everyone was going, oh, we love Brentford, we love Brentford. They wanted us to win. Same thing for Oxford, and you really did surprise them. And what I was kind of, you know, to be fair, I mean, I was, I was backing you, you know, um, to win that match as well. For, for various reasons, just because, you know, the underdog factor, even though Brentford have been doing very well recently, there still is a very much an underdog factor. As far as I'm concerned, we are always still the underdog, the team that, you know, that's come out from nowhere and that the team that sort of kind of people don't expect us to do anything. It's only recently that people are actually tipping their hat and actually saying that Brentford are actually a half a decent side. But also, 
it was the team spirit. It was that vibe that you had, especially like when you won on the pitch and you got on there and you would, you know, you had Akin Fenwa who was just like he was, he was just on fire making them jokes. If, if anyone's not seen it, just Google YouTube Wickham Wanderers, you know, playoff final. It was after the match. It was absolutely brilliant, and it kind of reminded me of sort of Brentford of old. Yeah, the team spirit is is largely what it is that kind of makes Wickham tick because, like I said earlier on, you know, the money and the finances has, has been so tight. Um, Gareth has had to really kind of develop the things that he can do. Um, and, you know, Richard Dobson, his assistant, who was formerly of Brentford as well, um, they've got this really kind of strict policy about signing players. Um, it's almost really that, you know, footballing ability and skill is kind of almost secondary to character. And they want to get the right people in the building and you have to be a certain character to, to sort of survive and thrive at Wickham Wanderers and be allowed in through the door. And, you know, people like Akin Fenwara, Matt Bloomfield, Joe Jacobson, older pros that have been around and seen it and done it, they're, they're called the generals. They run the dressing room on behalf of Gareth Ainsworth and they set this kind of tone. Um, and it's the team spirit that pulled them through the playoffs and for large parts of last season as well. And it's the team spirit that's seen them kind of find their feet in the championship and, and start getting points on the boards where, you know, seven defeats are out of seven at the start of the season. A lot of teams with less sort of, um, I don't know, mental strength um, possibly would have never recovered from that. Wickham seems to have got stronger uh, and that's down to the, the mentality and the characters that they sign. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you're talking about the mentality and the characters that they sign. I mean, would you think it's fair to say it's almost like a bit of a kind of crazy gang Wimbledon type vibe that you've got going on there? The fact that you say it's less about the quality of the players and it's more about the characters. I mean, obviously, that's going to at some stage change because what you do is that you can try and get a balance up between characters and the quality of the players as you try to move up the league. But at the moment now, do you think you're almost like surviving on the same way that Wimbledon had that crazy gang mentality? Then eventually they they, they, they rose up the league. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a parallel that I've, I've certainly noticed um, probably going back four or five years, maybe even longer. Um, um, and I spoke to Gareth about this and um, he, cause he, he was at Wimbledon, of course, and sort of lived a bit of that crazy gang um, era. Um, and he was very defensive about it and said, no, we're Wickham Wanderers. He's very keen on saying, no, this is our thing. This is what we do. Um, we're nothing else. But there is certain parallels. You know, we've got the big guy up top. Um, you know, we like to get the ball in the penalty area quickly. There is this amazing spirit. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gareth will say it's very, very different. I mean, the other parallel as well is John Beck and what he did at Cambridge United um, as well. when he took a, a small, unfancied team and, and got them playing direct football and got them going through the leagues. And John Beck, I think, signed Gareth maybe three or four times as a player. And I think he's had a massive influence on him as well. Um, but yeah, there is, there is a real kind of... Um, I know it's a bit of an, almost like a cult thing with Wickham Wanderers now. And we've become... Um, not everybody's favourite second team. There's still people who really dislike Wickham Wanderers, especially fans of teams in leagues two and one. Um, but um, I think you know Premier League fans possibly look at Wickham and and maybe Brentford had this a little bit as well that they kind of look at them and say, oh yeah, I want to see them do well. They're they're a result I look out for because of the characters involved and how they go about their business. Because we've been apart for you know for quite a few years, you know, there's probably a little bit of sort of kind of Wickham history that I need to catch up on. So you know, when I saw you, you know, you were going through the you know getting through the matches, doing really well, and the, the camera always focused off onto the terraces. And there was this character, Peter Kuhig. I mean, I don't really know anything about him, but you know, he seems to be an owner. I think he's American. Who sort of kind of bought into you. And I don't know if he's been um, 
one of the reasons why you've actually kind of gone up a couple of levels, you know, you know, baseball cap with a suit type man, as I call him as well. I mean, tell us a little bit about Peter. Well, well Pete is the nephew of Rob Kuhig, who's a lawyer for New Orleans, who is now the, um, he owns the majority of Wickham Wanderers. Uh, Pete uh, moved from New Orleans and is the club's chief financial officer, lives in the centre of High Wickham and is there and very much involved. He's a real football man. Um, he was a soccer man, but we've kicked that out of him now and he calls it football. Um, and he's a great guy and he, he, you know, he loves a drink and he, he gets what it's like to be a fan. Um, and, you know, the, him and his uncle and his, his family as well, Rob's wife, Missy, is on the board as well at Wickham Wanderers. Um, they've been brilliant because Wickham have been a fan-owned club for, for quite some time. And there was a lot of um, hesitancy about getting an owner in, for, especially an overseas owner, to come in and buy the club because everyone's a bit worried about sort of having Adams Park turn into a supermarket or flats or, you know, the usual thing that goes on uh, with horror stories of owners. Um, and they had to they had to have a vote to get them in. Um, they had to get over seventy five percent of the the legacy members of the Wickham Wanderers Trust to um, allow them to even try and buy the club. Um, it was a very high threshold. You know, elections is a hot topic at the moment, and imagine getting seventy five percent of any vote. Um, but he did it. Him and his uncle did it with Missy, and they got ninety five percent, I think, plus. Um, and then they've come in and what they did last season, beginning of last season, which again makes what Gareth did last season even even more un, uh, unbelievable um, because of the finances at the club and the fact that the trust were running out of money. Um, pre-season, Wickham had eight players. They had a 30% reduction in player budget from the season before where they stayed up on the final day. Um, so we were looking down the barrel of certain relegation and we were having sort of members of staff, you know, of Gareth's backroom team having to make up the numbers in pre-season friendlies. Uh, the Higgs came in and put some money in and reinstated the playing budget to the, to the same level it was the season before. Um, and they had to do their business really, really quickly. They'd already got rid of a lot of high earners and they had to get, get, get out there and, and sign players. Um, and the Higgs helped that happen. And then during that season, um, they managed to get the vote and then they were able to do the deal. They ended up signing the deal 10 days before the pandemic um, closed the doors on football, which is a kind of crazy time um, to do it. But, um, you know, I've, I remember Pete and Rob both telling me um, that they're lucky people and good things happen to them. And uh, lo and behold, we got, we got promoted and, you know, the, the TV money, as you guys will know, in the championship is phenomenal. The, the, the step up in finances that you get off the pitch being in the championship I think has probably secured Wickham Wanderers' future um, through these really turbulent times, but also looking ahead now to the years to come. I think it's been incredible, and, and the Higgs have been a very large part of that. They're so positive. Even talking to them this season and speaking to Rob, I think, after we lost at Luton um, 2-0, and it was looking like, where, where are these points going to come from? And he was absolutely adamant. He goes, Wickham are going to stay in the championship this season, and they're going to do it comfortably. Um, and he's an intelligent guy, um, but he's one of those guys, you get off the phone with him or you have a beer with Pete, they're the sort of people that, you know, they make you feel a bit kind of taller and a bit more confident about everything. Um, and that's unusual. At the moment, it's great because everything's going well. There will probably be times where they'll be tested and have fans questioning what they do. Um, and that'll be interesting. But at the moment, it's great to have them around, you know, they, and they don't pretend that they are 
English football fans or British football fans. They are American. They do bring their character and what they want to change into the game. And, and that's interesting as well. Um, but they're learning really, really fast. Pete was a big football fan. Rob, not so much, but he didn't pretend to be, which I think a lot of fans really respected. And they've taken, Wickham fans have taken them to their hearts so far. Which is good. And also, I noticed that, you know, when he's on the terraces, big hugs there as well. Because uh, it's, it's important to get input from all around as well especially financial input in these days as well and I noticed that Cherry Red Records is a big supporter of you lot as well I mean they initially started off with Kingstonian and then they were really known traditionally for uh, being an AFC Wimbledon as well where they sponsored them I mean I used to go down there all the time for, uh, for Cherry Red because I know the guys down at Cherry Red really really well as well good good set of guys I used to go down to Kingstonian with them you know and then down to, to AFC Wimbledon and now I've noticed like I said to you they've popped up at Wickham Wanderers I know Adam who is a big Arsenal fan he's just flipped over now and he is now Wickham Wanderers through and through and Cherry Red have been doing some big things for you and important things for you as well haven't they? Yeah I think it's really lovely to see like that they were the, the sponsor on the shirt from Wembley which you know those pictures went everywhere around the world um, and um, I've got a lot of great mates in Latin America um, I used to work in the music industry and they always sort of take the piss out of me because I'm a Wickham fan they're like who are Wickham who are Wickham you know they all watched that playoff final on, on, on TV in, in Mexico and the, a lot of them are saying, isn't it great that you've got an independent record label as your sponsor? And I was like, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, this it kind of sums up with Wanderers in a way. I mean, they're still involved in the club now. They're not on the, on the, they couldn't afford the championship sponsorship, but they're still like involved as a sponsor. They're on the shorts and Wickham have brought back this third kit from the uh, FA Cup run, famous, the Royce and Dogal, um, the red and white quarters now. And Cherry Red are on that as well, which I think is a really nice touch. And yeah, I think, you know, Wickham large part of its history is non-league um, and although we're in the championship now the spirit of non-league is alive and well and I mean that in a really good way in a, in a positive way um, I'm not saying we're Tim Pop but I think a lot of what makes football great is the spirit of non-league and having that connection between the fans the players the manager and the Kuhigs. I mean Gareth Ainsworth the first thing he did as a manager was bring the club back together there was a bit of a division between those that were running it and the fans and the players and he bought, he bought everyone single-handedly back together and the Kuhigs have definitely done that as well and yeah, Pete, I think Pete prefers being in the pub with the fans than he does being in the boardroom, to be honest with you. Um, uh, and I think that's a really lovely thing. Like I say, it's great when it's going well, um, but I've got to know them a bit. And I think they're the sorts of characters that when it's not going well or things are tough, I think he'll still be in the pub as well. Back to the championship here. OK, so listen, let's be truthful. No one, but no one has given you a chance of survival. You've talked about that already. In fact, the second tier podcast, guys, who we did a little feature with them this week, and you can check that out on prideofwest.london as well. Ryan Dilts from the second tier podcast gives a little review of the championship so far as we're quarter of the way through the championship. And they had a little bet that you would go the whole season without getting a single win. Obviously, the bets are off now, and uh, but you actually quite like that, don't you? Absolutely loved it. I mean, I've been on that podcast as well. Um, and, you know, in all fairness to Ryan, um, uh, we spoke a bit about that when the, the run was going bad and they got me on. And I was like, look, the performances are getting better. I've got every faith they're going to get points on the board. And blow and behold, they did. And when Wickham beat Sheffield Wednesday for that first win, um, I sent Ryan a little text that evening, just a little waving hand at him. <laughs> And he got me on the pod as well. So, you know, full credit to those guys. I mean, I, you know, I know what, it, you know, it's great to see sort of 
loads of different podcasts and outlets sort of shining a light on, on teams outside the Premier League. I think they do a really good job and yeah, you know, it's good. You know, you can't always get these predictions right. Um, but yeah, we love it, like you say. And I said that on his podcast. I was like, look, keep writing us off. Keep doing it because um, it drives on the team. I know Gareth um, looks at stuff like that. And last season, he had the 442 magazine um, article uh, predicting the, the League One table, which Wickham, I think, were bottom or second from bottom on. Um, that was on his office wall uh, for the entirety of the season. Um, and he showed that to the players regularly. And I think, and again, in all credit to 442, I think they um, they got an interview with him when they got promoted as well. Um, so, yeah, he, he doesn't take anything personally. I don't think the club does either, really. Um, we just enjoy it because it makes it sweeter when those results come, you know, when the wins do come. Um, and it means that, I mean, we do a feature on Ringing the Blues where we kind of collate um, the best responses from the forums and Twitter of our opponents. Um, you know, we try and do a bit of balance, but there's sometimes there's some real hel- hilarity where, you know, um, teams, fans get really upset that they've lost to Wickham Wanderers. And this isn't just in the championship. This was in League Two and League One as well. Um, and we love that. We think it's fantastic. As we call it, teams like Brentford as well. You know, we should be beating teams like Brentford. It's also teams like Wickham. So you join the club as well. There's us, Preston, and you guys as well, which is all good. So listen, I mean, how are you finding the championship? I mean, what's been your toughest game to date? Uh, Blackburn away um, we lost 5-0 um, it was our first away game um, Gareth was a Blackburn lad you know started off in the academy there it was a big day for him and his family and um, you know it was a real uh, well it was a massive step up in class and I think that day was a big reality check for a lot of Wigan fans about how tough the championship was going to be um, you know it could have been a lot more than five as well our goalkeeper was man of the match and yeah that was a really tough day because you know coming home I mean I, I got, I'm lucky enough to be able to get to the games and, and cover them for the radio and you know those journeys home after a big defeat can sometimes be a bit oh wow and especially at the moment because I travel on my own um, because of the uh, Covid restrictions <laughs> so yeah it was um, that was a tough day um, I mean a great day to go to a stadium that has won the Premier League I saw the replica of the Premier League trophy and all this history and then I watched the game and I was like wow we've got a lot a lot to learn and in, in credit to the club and the management and the players they've been improving game on game uh, from that performance but that was a tough one because I was thinking wow if we have a season of games like this this could be a really long season and I think I know the answer to this one but which one has been the most pleasurable um, well the first win Sheffield Wednesday was phenomenal to get that on the board um, and um, the, but I think the most pleasurable one actually was the win after that at Birmingham because it was a brilliant display and we won it in injury time and, and that's, just, that's just great we came back from a goal down um, tactically um, it was brilliant that the way that, that, that Dobbo because Gareth was, was off sick at that time and watching it on iFollow um, along with the rest of the fans struggling with an iFollow connection. I think he was trying to ring the analyst as Wickham trying to sort of tactically change something and the analyst was saying, we're already 2-1 up, the whistle's just gone, we've won the game. I think Gaz was about two minutes behind watching it on his laptop. Um, So yeah, that was a phenomenal feeling to win that away from home. First away winning the championship, that was really, really good. Um, So yeah, that was was a high point really. Um, So... Yeah, and it was it was really lovely to see it for the club as well because, as I said, the performances were getting better. So to get those back-to-back wins, I think, was really, really important. 
Wickham Wanderers, and I've looked back at it. I mean, obviously, you got into the league, I think it was around about 90, early 90s as well it was. And, you know, I just realised, actually, I've, I've, I've seen you loads. I've been there loads. I've seen you, you know, I mean, it's just down the road, but I've seen you play against Brentford. I've seen you play against other teams. Um, I've been to that walk from the station to the ground, which is really long, not very many pubs to go to. Um, I saw England women, the, the Lionesses, actually. That was my first ever Lioness match I went to as well when they played Serbia, beat them 7-0. So I took my daughter and the family down to that. That was down at Wickham Wanderers. Um, I also went to back in the day as well, went to the Carloff, Carlisle playoff semi-final game and you beat them 2-1 when there was all sorts of malarkey the Carlisle fans coming down and causing all sorts of problems on the pitch and police were trying to shepherd them off and oh, it, was, it was absolute mayhem down there when the Carlisle came down you beat them 2-1 and then I think you went to the final and then you played Preston at Wembley and I also went to the final at Wembley with Wickham when you beat them 4-2 my brother came over the States I talk about my brother Reg a lot he lives in Tallahassee at the moment but he came over the States first time in ages since he'd moved over to America and I went to the game with Lee's man my brother of course and Tony Georgie Porgy Georgiakis the Wickham fan and we were telling my brother about the pre-match six which he thought was a ritual where English people would always drink six pints before a football match no matter what time they got to the pub and literally when we walked to the game we actually walked into a hedge and we had to try and get him out of this hedge we didn't actually get into the game till after I think you'd scored about a couple of goals before we'd actually got into the stadium so yeah um, lots of memories there with Wickham any, any, any good ones for you? Yeah, I mean, I was a season ticket holder um, when O'Neill was the manager, when we just moved to Adams Park. My first, my dad used to take me to the odd game when they were at Lokes Park playing on the hill. And then I got my first season ticket early 90s when O'Neill was a manager. And we were like the Manchester United of non-league football. Um, it was great. I mean, I was like 12 years old and we were going to Wembley at the end of every season. I just thought that was a normal experience, you know. Um, that was a phenomenal team. And I think might probably... You know, as a kid as well, you know, your memories are always better, aren't they, as you get older. But it was a great time to be a Wickham Wanderers fan. That team and then Martin O'Neill as well, an amazing character, great players. Um, you know, you'd see players like Simon Garner and Paul Hyde. You know, you'd go into, you'd queue up to get into the bar after the game, although I was about 16. You'd try and sneak a beer in the beer suite after the game and you'd queue to get in. And, you know, by the time you got to the bar or into the bar area, Paul Hyde and Simon Garner would already be onto their second beer. Um, you know, the players would be in there as well. Um, it was brilliant times. And, you know, we would win most games. And it was great. And, yeah, it really kind of cemented your love for football, I suppose, and, and getting into the league. And that playoff final at Wembley against Preston. I mean, Gareth Ainsworth played for Preston that day with David Moyes. Um, that was a phenomenal day because, you know, that was a, a historical giant of league football. And uh, Dave Carroll, who, who works in Brentford these days, I think he runs a big yellow storage in Brentford, um, scored, I think, one of the best ever goals scored at the old Wembley Stadium uh, that day. Yeah, I remember that. Phenomenal memories. That's you know, I remember it like it was yesterday. And again, you're talking about it. I mean, I know we're banging on here about Wickham here, but the fact is that you are, you know, like I said, people see you as a small, you know, a small side in the league, but actually, you know, I'm talking about it with a lot of fondness and all these memories. And you had some really decent managers as well. Martin O'Neill, Laurie Sanchez, you had Paul Lambert, who sort of started his early days there. Peter Taylor as well, you know, he's a well-renowned, the under-21s, John Gormuth, obviously Garrett Ainsworth. So you've got this rich history of, of these managers coming through Wickham as well. And then 
we had to say you also did have Tony Adams, which is a which is a bit of a no, which is a bit of a no no. And also you had a couple of bees there as well. Neil Smiley and Terry Evans also managed there for a short period of time in the yeah, yeah. in the early nineties as well. I think it was as well. But you know th- there was a lot of people. But there's also one other player who I remember from you as well in your very early days, Steve Guppy as well. A lot of people remember him as well. Steve Guppy, who was actually going out with my flatmate when I lived in Acton as well when he was in Wickham, and I remember that. So he used to be around there all the time around the house. And he also attended one of my legendary annual Super Bowl parties. So every year in those days, especially Super Bowl parties were massive. So you just get people around your house, you know, come around at 11, 12 o'clock at night. You just watch the Super Bowl till, you know, till sort of the early hours of the morning. And quite a few Bees fans who actually listened to this podcast used to come to my Super Bowl party back in the day then, you know. So I'd, in the front room, I had about sort of 20 people inside there, get a load of beers and everything like that. And uh, it was a, one of them. There's a series of events that led to one of my mates letting off a fire extinguisher in my front room. So everyone sort of evacuated, like, you know, we had all white stuff in our hair and our eyebrows. And Guppy ran out with the white stuff in his hair and the eyebrows as well. And it was a bit of a strange moment anyway. So after that, every time I used to sort of see him, I used to shout him, like, side of the picture, fire extinguisher. So he'd be legging down, like, fire extinguisher. And he'd be looking around me, you'd see me in the crowd, he'd just start laughing. And I even saw him at a, um, a service station on the M40 one time. And he was sort of, I think he was there with Mike O'Neill, actually. He was coming down there. And I shouted, that fire extinguisher like the community turned around he started laughing so uh if i ever see him again i'll see, I'll see if he remembers the fire extinguisher episode well that gups is my favorite player of all time i love steve guppy um and you must have had a big impact on him with that super bowl party because he, he's he's in america now he's had he's had a lot of success in america uh and he's coaching um uh at um uh nashville a new nashville sc uh, it's a new team in the mls uh, he moved out there uh, not long before the pandemic. Um, so, yeah, you obviously had a big impact on him. But, yeah, he's a great lad. And right. he, he was on Ringing the Blues last season and, and told some good stories about when he moved to Wickham because they were part-time then. So he was a bailiff. He was working on a building site. And then um, he was crap at all of that stuff. And he just made the decision to kind of go skint and just be a, a play football full-time, even though Wickham weren't a full-time team. And I think he was living in digs with Wickham players in, in Wickham. He said it was like the film Porky's. Uh, which I had to go and watch. I hadn't seen it, but then I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a good lad. He's a good yeah. lad, Gups. And you know, I think he's like a one-man pub quiz. That's what I've always talked about, Steve Guppy. He was the first player, I think, to score at the old and the new Wembley Stadium. I think the first player to lift the trophy at both of those. First player to play for England C, B, and A. Um, I think no one else has done that since as well. You know, so yeah, he's, I think he could do an entire round on a pub quiz just about Steve Guppy. That's right, and the fire extinguisher as well. So listen, the well, Brentford yeah, that's the match. Best question. <laughs> that's right. I bet you he won't get that one right though. So, but anyway, listen, Brentford match on Saturday, and uh, like I said to you, whew, you know, Brentford versus Wickham. Like I said, so so many matches. The last the last game that I really remember. I mean, I know we played you in the cup and the League Cup and all stuff like that, but I really remember that game. It's not. It wasn't that. Adams Park, but it's at Griffin Park. It was in 2009. Peter Taylor was his manager then, um, and there was the crowd was nearly 11,000, and it was the last game that you can actually walk up to Griffin Park when it was kind of one of those ones like this is going to be a big game because both of those days it wasn't like you had to be all tickets. So all of a sudden I remember sort of paying on the day, walking inside the ground and looking around, thinking, "Cool, blimey, this like." the place is absolutely packed and that would never happen now because obviously it's like 
pretty much every well, every game is you've got to buy tickets in advance and if it looks like it's going to be a big game it's harder to get tickets where you've got you know all these kind of security in place to make sure that no one can buy tickets but then literally you could walk in and it was absolutely phenomenal the crowd was huge and like I said to you it was thrilled do you remember that game I do yeah yeah there's been some amazing games down the years between Wickham and Brentford um uh, the one I really remember is at Griffin Park as well. I think we lost 5-2. Um, I think it was going back to maybe 2014. Gary Alexander scored a hat-trick. Oh, yeah. Sam Saunders completely destroyed us. Um, yeah, I remember that game pretty well. It was the first... I, I, not long... I just started volunteering at a community radio station and it was... Wickham, I think, had a really bad season and I was, we had to split the commentary with the geezer that ran the station and... <laughs> I, I'd do a match after match. I'd never commentated on a Wickham goal. And I think the first ever Wickham goal I commentated on was in that game. Dave Winfield scored a header. Uh, and uh, th- so that, that's why I remember that game so fondly. But yeah, you had a guy called Johnny Douglas in midfield who was a really classy midfielder as well. And, you know, I've, I, I'm a Wickham fan that lives in London. So I'd often pop down to Brentford um, when Wickham were away or whatever. And I used to really enjoy watching him play in midfield as well. Um, so yeah, so... Yeah, I remember that game pretty well. That's right. And Natalie Sawyer's other half, Jonathan Douglas there as well. So, and uh, But you're talking about Brentford players as well. You know, Sam Saunders, who was Jonathan Douglas's uh, flatmate as well. So, you know, he plays for, you know, he's playing for Wickham. But there's loads of Bees players that played for Wickham. You know, I mean, back in the day, you had Jamie Bates and Terry Evans. But, you know, recently, obviously, you had Saunders. You had Alfie Mawson as well, who went there and pretty much made his name at Wickham Wanderers before moving on as well. And there's, there's I mean, it was almost like, you know, you, you became the, the creche, the nursery for Brentford players where we sort of sent them you know if we didn't really know what to do with them and then you kind of sort of made them quite good then either they came back to us or we moved them on wasn't it exactly yeah I mean um, I think our defence that season we got to the playoff final in League 2 having nearly gone out of business we had Alfie Mawson who joined I think there was another Brentford centre back who was meant to join got injured on the morning of of what should have been his medical and Wickham were desperate for players um, and I think they were like we got this young lad Alfie Mawson I think he played at Welling and Maidenhead and couldn't get a game and I think was contemplating giving up football altogether to go and work um, with his dad on the fruit and vegetable in Ealing and I remember we had our first game of the season and this young ginger head lad chopped off the coach and I was like who's that and they announced it an hour before the kickoff, and he was our player of the season. Um, phenomenal, and he played alongside a lad called Aaron Pierre, who was from Brentford as well. Um, right. And so, yeah, our, our success that season was born largely on that combination at the back, which was very much made in Brentford. We had Sam Saunders in there as well, Beanie um, in midfield. Um, you know, there's been some great links over the years to Brentford, and like I say, Dobbo, our assistant manager, has been at Wickham now for well over ten years. Uh, he came from the academy and he, his dad worked there as well. Um, so, yeah, there's been a lot of love and links between the two clubs over the years. And, um, yeah, long may that continue. Yeah, and Marcus Bean and Sam Saunders were in the pub with us watching the player final as well. And the Globe just literally ran the corner from the ground as well. So, like I said to you, the links are still there. And I chat to Marcus Bean every now and again. And I, I know he's got his little players thing, his little kind of academy thing, which he's actually building as well. And, and I love Marcus Bean, especially the song that we had for him and the way that his mum sung it when we went to Colchester again. If you look for it on YouTube, his mum actually sung the Marcus Bean song, you know, the new Pele song. But anyway, listen. Weekend, tough game for Wickham. It's also a tough game for us. We can't take anyone for granted. Who should we be looking out for? Uh, Scott Kashket is um, our little striker. We call it the little and large show when he plays with Akin Fenwa um, because 
they they're mustered together. They they really connect really really well. It's the classic big man little man combination. But he's really coming to his own in the championship, um, and he looks he looks very sort of comfortable, very dangerous around the box. Um, he's one to look out for. Daryl Horgan, um, he's been on international duty with Republic of Ireland, but he's a he's a fantastic player. Whether he'll be able to start or not, following his excerpts for Ireland, I'm not sure. But he's he's one that if he does play. Uh, definitely. I mean, it goes without saying, Adebayowak and Fenwa, Wickham have got seven points so far in the Championship and all of those points have come in games that he started. He's only started three games and we've got points in all of them. So I think Wickham fans are very much hoping that he's fit to start on Saturday. He's so important to what Wickham do, not just up front, but defensively and just as a spiritual leader and a talisman for the club. So yeah, those those three. And Joe Jacobson as well, um, I think with some slightly better luck with refereeing officials should have perhaps had two goals direct from corners this season already. I think he scored five direct from corners in a Wickham shirt in his career with us so far. But his delivery from set pieces is absolutely key to how Wickham um, do well, basically. So, yeah, they're the players that you should be watching out for. Right, and we know Kashkit because he was on our radar about three or four years ago as well. I think possibly before he came to us or before he came to you, Kashkit was there as well. Horgan, we know him when he was at PE as well, but they brought him over from Ireland as well. They hope there were big things for him as well. Um, I think I think they might have signed him at the time that we signed Hogan's. <laughs> it was like a weird one, Horgan Hogan. You know what I'm saying? So that, that happened there as well. I know he scored against us as well. I think he did a bit earlier on in the season. And uh, yeah, and Akin Fenwell, obviously, I know I met him. He's a, he's such a lovely bloke. He's such a, such a, such a top bloke. And the rumours that I've heard is that he actually might be playing 90 minutes as well on Saturday, which is, I think, is probably slightly worrying if he's going to be playing 90 minutes because, uh, you know, again, he's one of those players where you think, oh, no, I remember we gave him grief when you went down to Chilligan and all the Brentford fans were giving you know, a friendly bit of grief and then he popped up and just scored a goal against us and then he just sort of smiled I think there was, I think there was um, the, it was the fat chant that they were giving him but obviously he's full of muscle and then he scored the goal and just went over to them and just sort of waved to the Bees fans and everyone went fair play and they sort of waved back to him but I really like him he's a top top bloke for, you know, obviously from Brentford there's a couple of players which you should know Ivan Tony, who you played against last season and Marcus Force you, you didn't quite play against because he even though he played for AFC Wimbledon he got injured so he didn't play against um, he didn't play against Wickham wonder as well but he those two players are very important for us and scoring lots of goals Marcus Force scored against France as you know last week for Iceland and he's going to be playing against Wales um, this week as well so he's a big player for us we've got then other than that we've got Nogard injured Pontus Jansen injured which is good news for you so we've got Jan Elton there and we've got the Jensen Canos you know um, uh, you know situation as to who's going to be playing in midfield so uh, do you think you'll be able to deal with that pretty well yeah, this is the game when I looked at the fixture list I was worried about. I mean, I work for BBC Three Counties Radio and we cover Luton as well. And I remember what you guys did to Luton last season. And and I looked at that and I thought maybe that could be, we could have days like that in the championship. And, you know, you might have players that injured, but what I love about Brentford is you have a very sort of set style of play and a system and you've got the B team and everyone knows their role and you've got phenomenal players. Um, and I think last season he started slowly and then after that second international break kind of clicked into gear and I'm thinking maybe maybe this could be the wrong time to get you I don't know but um, I don't know we are slightly concerned because you move the ball incredibly well 
and Wickham tend not to have a lot of possession anyway, but um, over 90 minutes, it's going to be a big physical effort required for Wickham to compete in this game. Um, I mean, they'll give it their absolute best, of course. But yeah, we are. I'm, I'm slightly concerned about this game because of just how good Brentford have been in the last few years. But the one thing I will say is if, if you're not up for a fight, um, then you know you've got to earn the right to play your football against Wickham. So you can't just turn up and stroke the ball around. You're going to have to roll your sleeves up a bit as well and earn the right to do so. If you can do that, then on paper you should win the game. But Wickham have got a great, great track record of dragging teams down and getting them into a fight. And once you get into a fight with Wickham, not many people come out the other side of it with much. So let's see what happens. So bearing in mind there could be a fight on Saturday give us a score prediction 2-2 two, two. I think there'll be goals and I think Wickham hopefully will get two of them and you know my heart would say if we can get two then we'll our improved defensive displays might mean we'll get the three points but out of respect for what Brentford have done to a lot of teams I'm going to say 2-2 two, two in, in what will be a fantastic game to watch hopefully great chatting to you and uh, well Saturday no doubt I'll chat to you after the game where, fingers crossed, well, either your prediction will come through, which means we get a point away from home, which is what we need to do, or we'll have our three points on the tables. Phil, great to chat to you. Tell, just tell everybody, how could I get hold of you, by the way? Uh, I'm on Twitter, um, at BluntPhil, um, or yeah, just search, just Google Phil Catchpole. Uh, there's not many of us around. and uh, Or Ringing the Blues, uh, which is the podcast we do on Wickham. Uh, and then, yeah, we love to hear from fans uh, from all clubs, you know, especially uh, Peterborough fans as well. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, maybe you might get a few Peterborough fans messaging you after the game. Anyway, nice one, Phil. Talk to you soon. Nice one. Cheers, mate. So, great little chat there with Phil. I really enjoyed that as well. It was like a little reminiscence zone. We, we, we didn't, almost didn't talk too much about the match itself and the teams. We were like reminiscing about Brentford and Wickham back in the day. And it's almost like having an old friend back because Wickham Wanderers were one of the teams that we played forever you know back in the 90s and back in the 2000s and you know and and they were one of the teams where you know in effect when Brentford were not very good they were with us hand in hand you know in all the different divisions and uh, it's almost like we went and left them and we've gone away and now they've come back to join us so we had to have a little bit of a a reminisce there talking about all the old days of the, the places that we used to go to before the match or trying to find places to have a drink before the match which were few little interesting joints that we used to go to before the match as well and also like I said to you um, the games that I went to the Wickham games which were non-Bees games as well but that was a and, and a little story about Steve Guppy as well with a fire extinguisher going out my old flatmate as well who ended up doing a runner she came back and she did a runner took all her stuff and left me with three months rent thank you very much about that um, Jane but anyway I haven't seen her for 20 odd years but never mind but listen guys Wickham Wanderers they're looking to upset the apple cart. People said they ain't going to win any matches, and they've won a couple now. And I think we need to be on our guard, don't we? Um, have they won two? They've only won one, haven't they? And then the rest are draws, isn't it? Is that right? Possibly that might be right. I thought, no, no, they won Birmingham City and they beat um, Sheffield Wednesday. So they've won a couple of matches now. Yeah, they've won a couple of matches from what I can this Birmingham City was a last-minute winner as well. So, uh, and the Sheffield Wednesday one was the first one, which is probably uh, the monk out chance sort of coming in, 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 in Sheffield because of that one. They remind me of uh, probably two sort of Brentford um, periods. Uh, one, Holder, um, that promotion went inside. And um, the other one is, probably, is obviously the Martin Allen years. And, and that's the spirit I see at Wickham. 
they've had a rest, they've had a chance to reboot their batteries. I would imagine less of their players have played during the last week and a half than ours, and, and they're going to be ready to go. Liberal Tom. Yeah, I think I think what really stood out in your interview actually um, was 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 their kind of character and that team culture, and that was really what what made the difference for them last season. And I think actually it it will be a good test of character for us. I think we'll come up against a team that is playing for they're they're playing you know they're playing for themselves you know they're playing for pride and 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 with that comes the opportunities that they will they will give everything you know and I think they'll have a resolute defence. I think you, they've got some dangerous set pieces they can take there. I've forgotten his name now, but the the Welsh the Welsh fullback they've got has got some you know particularly dangerous set pieces he could use. We we, we have to be on our guard. We definitely have to be on our guard. But I think it. I think it will be a good game. I think it's a good first game to really have coming out of the of the international window because it gives you a good opportunity to, to test yourself against a team that is fresh, um, but perhaps with a slightly different mentality. And I think it gives us the opportunity to to go out there, go express ourselves, and and I, and I hope that I, I think we've got enough in us to, to be able to, to be able to beat them. I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Look, Wickham Wanderers. I mean, I saw and I was chatting to the field there and he very much reminded me of old school Brentford. And listen, listen, where we're going now is brilliant. We're playing brilliant football. We've got an, a brilliant ethos. We've got the whole, we've got, we're properly professional. But don't you kind of sort of miss that, that sort of like a slightly edgy, kind of slightly rough at the edges, slightly kind of just like, hey, let's just go out and do it. Don't you miss that about Brentford? I think I think Tom, in a way, um, covered it earlier on in the podcast when he said about the damage to some extent the XG table and that does to us is it makes us puts us as one of the favourites rather than the underdogs and and it's almost like we're not performing as well as people expect us to perform. Whereas it is a lot more fun surprising people. It was a lot more fun, wasn't it, in the championship in the first season um, when we when we took you know we shocked everybody by by getting into the playoffs when so many people said we were going to get relegated and it was still kind of fun for the next season or two where people still thought we were going to get relegated I don't think anyone says that anymore so yeah I, I, I know what you're saying Bill it's, um, it is but, but what comes with that is in the end you, 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 know, you run out of steam or, or something like that you, because you can't you know you, you can't stay forever with just um, coming through based on your sort of the, the team sort of culture and stuff you know at some point you do have to make that next step to that next level which is a step we've made so yeah i hear that as well so listen big match on saturday wickham wanderers i'm gonna get your score predictions the liberal tom uh i'm gonna go for a 2-0 win especially with uh four starting i reckon he'll get a good goal in there <laughs> the allards I'm tempted to say 6-0 to Brentford, a hat-trick for Tony and a hat-trick for Force. Um, but <laughs> and I, that's no, sorry, that's a sort of an in-joke to any Wickham fans listening um, about, the, about the debate we've been having. Uh, so, but realistically, I reckon that, I, I think Brentford will win. I think it will be tight and I've, I think Wickham will score. Um, I think they'll get a set piece or something against us, so I'm saying 2-1 beats. And for me, I'm going to go 3-0 to Brentford as well. And I think, you know, two goals for the Ivan Tony and one for Marcus Force as well. So, but listen, just quickly, we just need to talk to you. We, 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 we had them on a couple of weeks ago, Jamie Powell as well. There's a big, 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 big um, drive there for Jamie Powell as well. He's a beast fan, the beast fan who heartbreakingly was diagnosed with Osteocoma, which is a, a rare aggressive bone cancer of the skull earlier this year. And there's a hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, MGH, who have confirmed they will treat Jamie with proton beam 
therapy. There's been a massive drive to get some money. £300,000 been raised by the football family, Brentford fans, everybody, players putting their money in and everything like that. But still a little way to go because they need to get £350,000. Now, I follow is giving all the I follow money up this weekend to the, the cause. So if you've got I follow, make sure you get the I follow this weekend. It's going to be going straight to this cause, which is all really good and fair play to Brentford for doing that as well. But also, if you just check on the description box of this one here as well, of this uh, podcast, cost we've also got the link so that you can actually give a little donation as well it's all going to a good cause so definitely check that out big bees fan his family are really pushing for it the bees family are pushing for it so definitely do that as well other than that listen wickham wanderers saturday i'm actually looking forward to it it seems like i haven't seen a a bees match for absolute ages and uh like you said uh we're not in the pubs because we're still not allowed back in the pubs so give us a couple of weeks maybe they might actually start letting us in the grounds that's the rumors that are going around at the moment in the newspapers that that's quite interesting do you think that's actually going to come about the allard no <laughs> i know it made a good head uncle didn't it but anyway listen <laughs> This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. This is my name, Billy Grant. I'm there with the Liberal Tom. Liberal Tom. Uh, cheers. Come on the beat. That's right. And we've got the Allard as well. You bees. And if you want to buy us a beer, just go to besotted.com forward slash beer. And we really appreciate it. Listen, as we say, come on. Bees. Come on, you bees. Come on, you bees. Let's beat this Wickham. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.